Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Welcome to the Health, Wealth and Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Today we'll be giving all of you an inside look of true vision and big vision. In particular, Mark and I will be doing a role play and exploring his life's vision. Now, to back things up a little bit, we really started this conversation, you know, a couple episodes ago, really talking about living an inspired life and what that truly means, which is living from one spirit. There's our belief that we are spiritual beings in a human body. And because of that, there's this concept of our spirit. And so what we're looking to do is explore and see what, what that life vision is that's coming from one's spirit, that's coming from one's heart. And in particular, we're going to be doing this for Mark to give you guys an idea of what that might look like, what Mark's life vision is, and some of those details around that. And with that, what one thing we're going to be doing is we're going to ex- be exploring and reviewing some of his questions to some exercises that I had him complete that allow us to walk through together. And so, you know, with that said, we're going to we're going to jump right in. Mark, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Aries. Thank you. Happy to be here. Today, we are going to be exploring your answers to two tools that I had you complete, two exercises. One of them is the Wheel of Life. The main purpose of the Wheel of Life is really to to help you assess one not only your current life balance and where where things stand right now in nine different aspects of your life, but it's also to measure your current satisfaction in those areas. That's one tool that we're going to be exploring based um, and going over your answers. And then in addition to that, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper. And we are going to review your answers to visualize your future, which is also another tool and exercise that I had you complete. And the premise behind that is you're supposed to define what a 10 in each one of these areas really looks like for you. So with that said, let's jump right in. And I want to start off the the conversation around, I guess, having completed the Wheel of Life, was there anything in particular that jumped out at you or that you found interesting based off of your answers? I think there is. Two things really came up. One is the level of satisfaction on a very positive side for the items that I actually scored a 10, which I normally don't score things as a 10. But in doing this exercise, I actually discovered I do have some 10s in here. I actually felt good about the fact that some of the more important, if not the most important parts of this wheel of life are coming through very high. So that was very kind of confirming and affirming. And 
uh, satisfying and knowing that I'm, I must be on the right track from the standpoint of what I'm doing day to day in devotion to my inner growth. Let's talk about those areas that you did score a 10. Mm-hmm. One of them being family. Yes. As well as learning and inner growth. So those are the three areas that you scored a 10. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, you know, and you don't have to talk about each one, but you certainly, you know, you certainly can, but just talk to me a little bit about why you scored them a 10. Like what went into that thought process? Part of it is, you know, when our work starts with intention and I recall very early in many, many years ago, after Catherine and I started a family, is that as a family, we would be very close. That was my intention. And that as the family grew, we would make decisions that did not compromise how close we were and how close we wanted to be. So I think a reason I scored a 10 is that when you fast forward, and now I have children in their 30s, with grandchildren and Catherine and I, where we are in our life, we have essentially, it didn't happen like this overnight, but we went from being a very strong family unit, really from the get-go and throughout our high school and college years with the kids, and then they all started and went off into their own lives. And for a period of time, we had one child in Colorado and one child in California, and we moved back from California to Chicago, so we were a little bit scattered for the first time in our lives, other than when they were in school. But when they were in school, we were visiting them on a regular basis, and they were coming home, all that kind of stuff. So we didn't feel it quite as much. But here we are, fast forward now, where several years ago, all three of us sort of reconvened, if you will, and without really little to no discussion about it. We just all found ourselves back in California, and lo and behold, within 45 minutes of each other. And so when I look back, the whole family thing for me is very satisfactory from that standpoint. And then those family members that were sort of around our core also started making their way to California. So here we are at a period in time in which some of the most significant family members, with the exception of really one, save Catherine and my siblings, which we're fairly close with, are all here in Southern California. So that felt very satisfying. And, and like you mentioned, this was, you had an intent, and this was very, very long time. Oh yeah, long this has been ago. sort of a lifelong thing. Exactly. And, yeah. and one of the things that you mentioned, which, you know, which I found not interesting, but which is important, is that family was probably the most important area to you. And because of that, you focused on it throughout the years and kind of where you're at today in order to be satisfied regarding a certain area, in this particular case, family, I think this is this has happened over the years and you've gotten to the place where the investment, all the time and the energy and the intent, the intention spent and focused on family, mm-hmm. you know, has caused you to be really satisfied in that area. Yeah, the life. results speak for themselves and with the intention comes actions to tend and spend focused energy on building that and watering it and just really nurturing it. I think um, that's what's perhaps been the reason why we are where we are. Set the model in motion, if you will. Yeah. What about learning and or inner growth? Well, again, throughout my life, 
and in particular the last three or four years when I began much more focused on my life's work, I made it a priority and a routine in my life to dedicate myself to knowing who I was and why I was here. And the only way I knew how to do that was to go inward and to learn, to learn different ways of access points to understanding who I am. And then how do I move forward with that? So the whole inner growth thing has been, and learning has been about one sort of feeding the other and the other feeding the other as a kind of a growing circle of growth. And they're connected. They're very much connected. They're a 10 because I've made it a priority and nothing comes in front of that in terms of the daily practices that I employ that assist and that support the growth and the learning. Now, the two questions that you posed, I find very interesting because those are some questions that that I find important for myself as well. Mm-hmm. So let's back things up a little bit. And let's talk about, you know, you had mentioned really having an understanding of who you are and why you are here. So if you don't mind just going into that, you know, just a, a little bit, if you don't mind explaining what that is for you and what you've come to realize for I yourself. I don't mind it at all. It's my passion. It's why I'm here. I've alluded to this in earlier podcasts, but as a premise and a foundation, I came to believe several years ago that it's not that we're human beings with a spirit. I think it's way more than that. And I can't recall who I actually heard this from. It could have been, could have been Wayne Dyer. It could have been Tony Robbins. I don't know. I was listening to so many different gurus back then. Someone said that we are spiritual beings in human bodies. And when I heard that, it just just shifted me in a big way for me, understanding that that is actually who I am. Once I understood that, okay, if I am a spiritual being, and I didn't have to necessarily like talk myself into it, it just resonated with me, and I just sort of had a knowing. I said, yeah, that is who I am. And then once I really locked into that, over time, didn't happen overnight, but once I kind of set that as a foundational stone for myself and a way of looking at myself going forward, now all the inner work was really about spirit. And that had to mean that what's my spirit saying here, not my ego and my persona. And I was able to distinguish between the two over time and understand really the art of inner listening. And when I began to practice inner listening, then I realized, wow, I do have an access to spirit. And I do have an access of then knowing as a spiritual being who I am, which led to the second question, well then, why am I here? And beginning to answer that question. I would say it was over the course of really three years, at least, of dedicated work to this end, to answer those two questions, yeah. um, have been about what my life path has been, is answering those two questions. And so, here we are. Mm-hmm. And now I begin to go forward in the world in a way I hadn't before. Uh, that's because the Spirit's driving the bus. And because now my clarity is as great as it's ever been. 
It's amazing. And we preach freedom and happiness. And I never knew that there was a level like that. And I'm sure it will even get better. But I tapped into something that I didn't think was really quite possible to really feel that. Mm-hmm. And it is is truly wonderful. And that's now my work going forward is to help others really achieve the same thing. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast and we're sharing some of this so stuff. So true. There are some other areas that you scored not quite a 10, but a 9. So let, let's talk about mm. let's talk about that a little bit. So we have health, leisure, home, and community. Yeah. So maybe if you could choose one of one of the areas and talk about why you scored it a nine and not quite a ten. I'm going to use the word community, which has never really meant a whole lot to me until I moved out here. And the reason for that is that I had a very strong community of colleagues and friends in Chicago. And when I moved out here, I was not able to replace that. Now, I still am close with a handful of friends and a couple ex-colleagues, but I was really felt like I was lacking community out here. And if you, well, our listening audience doesn't know this, but this is a redo of a tool that I did at least two years ago, and I scored pretty low on that community. But when I did the focus planner and my best year ever, via Michael Hyatt and his model and program, I really concentrated on community. And I set the intention that I would find two or three really good friends or colleagues that a relationship could develop that was going to be very meaningful to me. And um, it happened. And so I'm, I'm really sharing it because it's probably the most exciting bump I've had in this area and in a much more fulfilling way and so I'm thrilled because I really have I'd say three relationships that have been incredibly meaningful to me um, lined up with a big piece of who I am able to share at a very deep level and um, and so that's been very satisfactory okay and I'd like more, and that's why it's not a 10. That's the only reason it's not a 10. Right. Sitting at an 8. There are two areas that you scored the lowest, and, and for me, they're not really that that low. You you pretty much scored them, I, I would say, like 6 or a 7. Yeah, you don't use 7s. I know that. Yeah, I don't. No, but I'm okay you, with 7s. It's but you either know a 6 or an 8. They're a solid. They're a solid 6. They can easily, they can easily be uh, a 5 to a 6. Okay. Okay. So let, let's get into these two areas. One of them is finances. Oh, shocker. And another one is work. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about why you scored them five or a six yeah. for both. The reason the finances is six, so I have myself, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Number, written by a financial planner. Okay. No, not not quite. I, I do know the concept a, yeah. of the number based yeah. off of what's you know, kind of in commercials and yeah, do you know your number? Right. So I had a number. Okay. There were two numbers I had. One number is what am I worth in the marketplace? And the marketplace told me what I was worth. Okay. Then I thought, well, that's good, but that's not the number that's going to get me where I think I want to go in terms of more uh, financial security going forward and really attaining uh, a particular, I don't want to call it a lifestyle because a real driver 
I think we're living a pretty great lifestyle that we're both pretty happy with at this point. Not with things, but more life experiences and travel and being able to support and see family and stuff like that with very little compromise and then having the home we want to have out here. More for the financial security reason and the home reason, we're not able to really realize that yet. And so as a result, it's a six. And that number is simply a number from doing financial planning and having done some planning for myself, from an income standpoint, I'm far short. From that standpoint, that's why my finances are at a six and it can really be at a five. Because truth be told, in terms of the number one number that I felt was relative to the marketplace, I'm short of that. And then in terms of the number I wanted to get to that could afford us the home and more of the retirement security, or I wouldn't say retirement because we don't see ourselves retiring, but more of that transitional period later in life where we want to do other non-income producing things from an activity and experience standpoint, well short of that. So hence the reading there. Okay. The work is pretty simple. In a perfect world, all I want to do is life planning and this form of life planning work, which is to say what is most enjoyable to me and what's most meaningful to me is to be face-to-face with people and to help people really live a much more inspired and more meaningful, fulfilling life, whatever that is for them, and to go even deeper yet should they want the self-discovery of knowing who they are and why they're actually here and making it really as much about sort of the experience and the fulfillment and the meaning, but like really driven by purpose and really driven by who they authentically are in spirit. That's the essence of the work. Right. So for me to hit a 10 on that, I'm probably doing 80% of my activity work-wise in an income-producing fashion is just doing that. Just doing that. But at the moment, with my wide range of responsibilities here in the firm, I don't quite have that yet. Okay. But that's what that's about. So, and you did this a little bit when you're explaining your scores for both finances and work. Yeah. But just describe, I know you did a little bit of this for work, like what a 10 would be for you. Oh, yeah. I guess, let's dig into that a little bit more. So, you had mentioned 80% of your time really focused on life planning, people facing, just helping others focus on what is going to allow them to live uninspiring and, and most meaningful life. I mean, any other details around that? Like what does that what does that really look like outside of obviously you're going to be you're going to be in relationship with others, but do you have more clarity around what that essentially would look like? I'm not sure exactly what you mean by what that would look like, but like helping paint, helping them get there, yeah. right? So It's really it's really and of course, I'm growing and learning as I'm moving into the work. What moves a needle for people? And what does that even mean, moving a needle for people? Moving a needle for you, moving a needle for me, moving a needle for this person or that person or this client or that client can run the gamut. And there is no right or wrong. I simply want to be a facilitator of moving a needle in whatever meaningful way is at the time appropriate for the client. But the other piece of it that really I haven't touched on is I want to be able to bring a greater scale 
to my work and to reach more people, hence the podcast. Hence the concept of a model where there's some level of face-to-face advising, coaching, counseling, encouraging, being an advocate for, all that stuff. Then there is sort of more the group tribal community in which we do group stuff, in which some of these things can be addressed in a group setting and that the sharing and the learning can be inter-tribal. I'm not the only one with wisdom in the world. Much of it is really just being exposed and having the opportunity to express who you are and let people sort of mirror back and let people respond to that. We're all teachers. We can be all great teachers. We just need to be in the setting to do it. I think that's inherent in our spirit being. Is to, is to connect and share and support. That It is innate, like love is innate in the spiritual being. Then the other piece is to go really even more viral and to be able to provide something really online. You know, it's web-based. I don't exactly know how that model will pan out. But I see that whole 80% body of work being all wrapped up into some mixture and some allocation of those three different interfacing models. Face-to-face, group, online. And hopefully with the online, you know, develop to more of an evergreen stream of revenue, as we've talked about, the passive revenue model, enabling us to still get some revenue stream while we are out and experiencing you know, more of the life we want to live. The other 20% could be really anything, but the other thing I really enjoy in my work is when I'm innovating, and that kind of goes with the work that we're doing. Just creating and planning? With every experience, you learn something, and then you can bring something new to the table with the next client or person that you're interacting with. Right. Then there's the means of what's the best way to communicate. Example being that in our work here within the firm, we're developing an actual deliverable that's a life of planning deliverable that has a lot of the the input, the data, the feeling, the vision, the whole embodiment of how the life could be developing for the client in a book. Right. So they have something to reference in addition to just the numbers and how the numbers support all that. And we're still developing that and redeveloping that and fine-tuning it. So I, I love doing things like that or developing new tools that can really help clients. That's the other 20%. Part of your life's vision is, is really you know, this work and being able to create and put together a, a platform or a way to help not just one person, but more and more people as it relates to helping them figure out who they truly are and what they're here yeah. on earth for, right? You kind of help paint the picture of what that vision looks like for your work. And considering where you're at right now with your work, I guess what steps or what things would you like to see happen to allow you to continue to start heading, you know, to, to make progress in that direction? Yeah. Well, I think there's two components to that. I think where it starts, number one, is it's my life, it's my calling, and I'm the one responsible to do it. How that happens is actually not so much the issue to me, only that it happens. Now, the wonderful thing is I'm working within a firm that's very supportive. The practical sort of answer to the question is, as much of the current work that I'm doing that isn't life planning, uh, can that be offloaded? Can that be outsourced? Can that go elsewhere? And that's something that I just have to sort of work with directly with 
the people or the opportunities around me that can support that offloading. And none of this has yet to be explored officially. And I'm still really, at the moment, just continuing to put the intention out there and waiting for things to begin to develop. And truthfully, all of us have to sort of juggle this for ourselves. If I need to, I'll make certain decisions that I need to make in order for this to ensure that it's happening with a particular time frame. These are the kinds of things that when we meditate on a regular basis and we are constantly hearing our inner voice, we do get some guidance as to maybe what is the best way for this to play out? What is the best way to approach it? What's, what's the, the next best, step? What's the next step? What's the best way to communicate it? So, you know, at the moment I'm moving slowly. I'm very happy and I'm very grateful for everything I'm doing at the moment and playing my part. And so I'm just kind of waiting as I'm kind of knowing where my target is, this 80%, feel very confident that one way or another, I'll get there. That makes sense. No, absolutely it does. Now, I want to dig in a little bit deeper in, in regards to the finances. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your answers to the Visualize Your Future, where you're essentially rating and describing what a, what a 10 would look like in that area. Now, the first comment that you made in this column of your finances is my life's Achilles heel, money and finances. Yes. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. I've always had an awkward relationship with money. We're gonna call I'm gonna call it an awkward relationship. I'm not gonna call it an unhealthy relationship. I say awkward because I grew up in a family where finances and money were never spoken of. I never knew what my dad made. I remember asking questions about money and I remember my dad completely skirting the issue. It was like, we don't talk about that, it's not your business. And when my parents divorced, um, money became an issue because we weren't getting regular alimony payments. And my mother was not, at the time, working, nor was she educated or skilled to work. She had never worked once she became a mom. And so there was a lot of pressure because she was really only able to do a minimum wage stuff. It was difficult. And I remember one reason why I started working at 14, and lied about my age, to get a job was because I couldn't ask my mom for money. Money had to come from somewhere, and I was in high school, and I had to just just for play money, whatever. And then when I got my license, I wanted to buy a car. So I had to find a way to make money. But there was a bit of always a sense of lack. And then you look around yourself and you see people with more, people that don't struggle with money the way we're struggling with money. And so I grew up with this and um, in my formative years and then my high school years were very painful and I think it kind of reinforced to me that if I want money, I got to work for money. And I did equate working hard with making more and I had some money memories, even in my younger years, that were sort of shame, shaming me around money. And so I grew up with this sort of backdrop in my relationship with no knowledge whatsoever how it might be hampering me in my endeavors career-wise. I think the most important part is how I 
would look at my own value in dollars to the world, which I struggle with because I always undervalued myself. I mean, it really, as soon as I went into business for myself and I had to assign an hourly rate to my work, because some of my work I had to actually quote, and I could only quote it based on how many hours I thought would go into it. And so I had this balancing act between what I thought it was worth and what the market would bear. And it took me years before I realized that the market could bear more. I just wasn't giving myself that value. Even though I thought I did really good work, my clients were very happy and they were constantly coming back and money never seemed to be an issue for them. I never not got, a, I never not got an assignment because it was too much money. Ever. This was something I've always dealt with. And so just being aware of it has made me want to heal it and made me want to change some of that hard wiring. It's one of the things that led me into the Kinder's life planning program was the opening module are the seven stages of money relationships. I never even thought about money relationships before. But in reading it and going through it, I discovered I found myself stuck in low chakra, almost childhood-like naivete and misconceptions of myself and money. Almost as if I never really matured past that. And so it's always been a struggle. The good news is, is Really, with every passing year, I've gotten better and better and better. I've gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. But I do think it's still a bit of an Achilles heel. I put myself maybe at maybe a 7. A 7-5 on a 10-point, 10-point being I'm no longer awkward about it. I'm comfortable with it. I'm strong in it. Again, I just continue to grow. So I'm probably somewhere in there now. But that's what that comment is really all about wanting to heal and wanting to move through and past that being an Achilles heel for me okay now you know a big part of what you wrote in that column too was really that just your understanding that having finances or money the big thing for you is that you have enough to be able to support the things that truly matter to you right right now do you feel like um, that you don't, like you can't do that, that you don't have enough, you know, financial resources to support what you truly want to do and what's important to you? If I look strictly at the numbers, not my belief, not my attitude, not my vision. If I look strictly at the numbers today, um, I'm well short, just period, plain and simple. My retirement plan for my target is a little over half there, okay? Um, and I'm not sitting here in my 30s or 40s. So I, my window is shorter now to, to sort of catch up if I can't catch up. Um, while the market's been great, you know, in the last 14, 15 months for the most part, um, I went through that decade of zero growth in the stock market from 2000, 2010. My majority of my saving and my majority of my earning years. Right. So I couldn't really get the maximum bump in the market when I really needed it. And that's neither here nor there. It's just the way it is. Um, but the snapshot has me well short. You know, one of the things that, and I'm really glad that you brought this up, is because I'm a big believer. Obviously, we all have a relationship with money. And it really starts 
with in, in terms of having a better relationship is is acknowledging and knowing kind of what your relationship is right now and and just like any relationship with you know whether it's your significant other your kids coworkers family or friends in order to have a better relationship in this case with money you have to be able to spend you know time right and there has to be intention involved with with money um there's certain skills you know um that are that are required and that are involved just like any um in relationship there's certain skills that that require you to have a a, a good relationship you know i think money is a little bit different where it might be other types of skills but you know that that is definitely something that um we all need to be aware of and that um you know i i, I think even for myself you know there's there, those are things that um there's some obviously areas that i struggle with too and a lot of that is because we're not really taught we're not really taught about money you know growing up you know we we are taught indirectly whether it's through just watching our parents and their relationship with money and kind of the good and the bad um, naturally flow down to us because we absorb all that growing up to even with our friends and even society and how they deal with money. So another area that I wanted to jump into and I want to talk to you a little bit about, and the reason being is because we've, we've had talks about, you know, your life vision in the past. And obviously just like anything, things tend to evolve and change, right? Um, nothing ever ideally ever stays static or the same, but this concept for, for you and Catherine about your home, because what you wrote down as it relates to your home and that being a 10 and, and kind of what you would want is a little bit different than it was before. So it is. So talk a little bit about what it was before for the both of you and then what it is now and how that has evolved and kind of paint the picture around this area of home for you guys. Well, it's a really interesting sort of evolution and how both Catherine and I have progressed through the passage of time and being here in Southern California, not about 10 years running and still don't have the home that we originally envisioned and wanted. So a little back history is the home has always been an important piece to us. It needed to be something that felt very nest-like. We liked a home to have certain characteristics about it. And so we've been very sensitive that we put a lot of time, we put a lot of energy, we put a lot of money into our homes. And as we have sort of aged, our home situation has always improved. I'd say that the last home we owned before Southern California. So that's home we owned in Chicago was probably our best house. It was our best home. Just from a layout standpoint, from a value standpoint, from a lot standpoint, it was awesome. It, we would be happy going to the grave in that home. And it was very hard giving it up coming to, you know, to California. So we're, we're dealing with some headwinds here. And this is the interesting thing where the shift for me has been about kind of making peace with what is and being okay with that. Because at the end of the day, it's really how you feel. It doesn't matter how you're feeling about it. It's just a matter of how you're feeling. The feeling is huge. 
being satisfied, being okay, being happy, all those kind of things. And when you're focused on what you don't have, you don't generally feel good. You don't feel happy. You feel sad, you feel lack, you feel short, you don't feel whole. And that's basically been the whole situation of the house here. And it's really been because of the market. And a simple formula, income relative to pricing. What could we afford relative to what we make and how that relates to what we want? It was always short. Now, we had a good shot at it during the mortgage meltdown when prices were dropping like a rock. And we we tried very hard to take advantage of it, but we went through a really funky time where despite the effort and the intention, we couldn't get a contract closed. Short sale fallouts, outbid cash buyers. It was a crazy time. We were completely blindsided and just were at the short end of every stick that we were holding. And it got to the point where we were so frustrated that we threw in the towel and needed to regroup. We just felt beaten up and like downtrodden. And we thought, okay, enough of this nonsense. Let's just pack it in and not worry about it for now. And so we stayed in the rental for a few more years. And then an interesting thing happened. We decided to actually make an investment in a property that was not a property we wanted to live in. But it was helping out our son, and it was at a point in time where it kind of made sense because we were at the very bottom of the market. And we thought, okay, let's make this investment, and then we'll sell it. When the market comes back, we'll have a little bit more cash, and we could do something more meaningful. But life is funny. Sometimes the universe has maybe a better way. And so what's interesting for me is that I started learning a really interesting lesson in my Chicago gig, which was I always thought I'm in the wrong place at the right time or I'm in the right place at the wrong time when things weren't working out. And then I started thinking maybe... I'm actually always in the right place, but I'm not looking at it the right way. I'm not seeing why it's actually the right thing for me. That shift occurred because, again, from the inner growth, from the learning, from the inner listening, and from having such a thirst for this, but in my routine of life, I was just listening to so much self-help inner growth stuff. And Tony Robinson, something that, again, another major shift from her, he said, everything that happens, everything, without exception, happens for you. And then he said, and this is in a Tim Ferriss podcast, and Tim's listening, and I'm kind of telling that Tim's like, really? You know, questioning that? Because then Tony came right back and said, yes, and if you really believe that, it'll change your life forever. I pondered that, and I thought, really? And then I just started applying the belief. Simple. I just made a choice. What if? Because I don't really, who really knows, right? So I said, well, what if everything that is happening right now is happening for me, and everything that has been happening is happening for me? All I need to do, if I believe that, then all I need to do is shift my perspective and realize and ask the question, Hmm, how is this happening for me? Okay. 
And then there's like that, I think it's a, might be a Buddhist or an Islamic parable where the father, I don't know if I shared this, the story, so as the story goes, there's a father and a son and they have a very close relationship and the father learns that his son is going to be sent off to war. And everyone says, oh my God, that has got to be the worst thing. And he said, well, maybe not. The son comes back from either the early stages of this, I can't remember, but the essence was is that he was found to have some physical disability or deficit. And they said, oh, that's got to be the worst possible thing in the world. And he goes, maybe, maybe not. And then it goes on and on and on. And every bad thing that's perceived as bad turns out to actually be a good thing through the course of his life and his son's life. And so we always judge something as being good or bad. And that's another mistake, I think. I think we, we cheat ourselves. We hurt ourselves. Because as soon as we say that it's bad, now we can't find what might be the real pearl of wisdom or opportunity in it. Kind of like thinking when everything is for us, we begin looking at it differently. So I just began looking at this whole housing thing differently to say, well, how's it working for me? And in doing that, I opened up with some ideas that, and then ideas came that I embraced, like our son who came to us and basically said, I wouldn't sell that house. I'd rent the house, rent the property and see how it cash flows. I think that might be better for you. And then no and behold, then we did that financial plan. We ran the numbers. Selling it, buying another house versus keeping it and renting it and looking for another means for cash down, okay, and a house that we would buy. And then I started thinking, well, what if we did it a different way? What if we weren't looking for the grand house here? What if we looked for it in a more affordable area that's also somewhere we wanted to live and we would take smaller places and rent them? So all of a sudden, I just started expanding my view of possibilities of living, which interestingly opened the door for a whole other great realm of different experiences where we could experience our children in a different way and we can experience sort of our dream home in a different way and maybe with our given resources, maybe this different scenario would work. So here I am now painting the picture for my housing situation in a way that three years ago I wouldn't have ever even imagined. And I can tell you that the old way doesn't feel as good now as this new way. Because the old way was essentially you guys looking to replicate and try to find a property similar to the property that you had in Chicago, but here... Right. What we were looking for was the house in Chicago set on the property we had in Northern California, the five acres, which is a view to die for, okay, that looked like Tuscany if you were in the middle of Italy. And it was. It was amazing in Northern California in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. We wanted to duplicate that. But the reality is the Sierra Sierra Nevadas aren't here. They're up there. We have our mountains. But could we get a different sort of spin on that? And so that's what we've now begun to explore as we're still kind of waiting to see how it unfolds. And I know I gave a lot of detail here, but uh, to some degree, the devil's in the details. I mean, the, the, the nuggets are in the details. This is what we all struggle with. I'm no different than anybody else. And kind of how we can come out of it with something new. I think that's a really interesting story about how one can shift 
when one doesn't have the perceived resources to do what they think they want to do. And now here we are three years later with truly increased resources, better than they were three years ago, no question about it. But yet, now looking within our means, what could really be possible and actually liking the possibility and take advantage of or be part of. And so we're just, you know, sort of in this exploratory kind of envisioning and fantasizing and kind of dreaming more about the experience and what we want to get, not so much the how. And this is kind of what's emerging. So we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. (laughs) It's not just about the how, but also the what, right? Because, you know, at the end, the things that were most important to you about the home was was going back to this whole concept of family and bringing everyone together. Yeah. Even though it might be a little bit different than what you previously thought, it still holds true to what's most important to you. That hasn't changed. But the what has in terms of what kind of property, where it's at, all those different things, you know, to tie things up and having gone through these exercises, you have a lot more clarity around your life vision. And because of that, you know how to move forward. You should know how to move mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. You know, for our audience, this was a little taste, you know, inside look of how to develop that vision for yourself. You know, there's some exercises that you could do to help get those, to get the thought process started for you to really assess and think about what truly is important to you. In this case, you know, we visited the the Wheel of Life tool as well as Visualize Your Future. With that, you know, hopefully you have a better understanding. Hopefully there's some some level of excitement to be able to want to walk through and do these exercises for yourself to see what comes out of that as well. Having that true vision, that big vision that is spirit-driven, being able to develop that um, and exercise and flex that muscle will only help you, will allow you to live a meaningful and purposeful life, right? And that's that's where it starts. So outside of that, Mark, was there was there anything else that you'd like to add, whether it's anything that you wrote and completed with the exercises or, you know, just to talk to our audience? Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity. I don't think there's anything really to add with respect to the work that I expressed. I think what's most important that I'd like to share with our listening audience is, as the saying goes, a life unexamined is not worth living. Uh, The beautiful thing about this work is that on your own, you would not, most people would not go to this level of depth of examining all aspects of their life and then having to come up with expressing what the highest possible experience of life in these nine aspects of their life would actually look like. I found the work to be extremely empowering because you're taking responsibility that if this thing isn't cutting it, well, what's going to cut it? Get it on paper. And then when you share it with a partner, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a a very dear friend, or in this case, my advisor. Super powerful. Probably the most important lesson in this 
is to say, if you want your life to change in any particular area, you got to look at it. You got to look at it closely. You got to be honest about it. And then you got to be really connected and authentic and courageous. There is a, there is a bit of courage required. And there's a diligence and a commitment. I don't really feel about, you know, it's hard to write this stuff out sometimes. Sometimes you don't even know really how you feel. But let me tell you, you do feel. You just got to dig and get there. Right. And then when you get there, you got to put it out there. That's the other thing. You got to put it out there as well as you got to revisit what you Correct. It's not not examining it once in your life and be done with it. You got to constantly reexamine it. And uh, that's been another really meaningful lesson, being in this work. I started the examination with my first very beginning of data input into what a life plan would look for me on Kinder's life planning for your website, which was probably a solid four years ago. And here I am today with it being as close to as meaningful as any of the revisions have been as they are today. And it's like I'm practicing this muscle. I'm getting really strong at this. It doesn't happen overnight. And I'm realizing that's what it is. It's like anything. You think you're, we're not taught how to do this. We, we do not know how to do this stuff. And these tools help us learn how to do it. And then we have someone guiding us in it and someone holding us accountable to do it that we got to answer and talk about with it. It's that whole package that brings the meaning. We hope for those of, uh, in our listening audience that this may resonate, we would really encourage you to take some steps forward to commit to the inner work and the inner growth and the learning and begin putting some of these things in play, which we will give you access to in our show notes or on a podcast. One of the ways we'll communicate it because we're not going to leave you out there with nothing. <laughs> All right. Aries, thank you. Thank you for taking me through it. And I'm looking forward to our next podcast, taking you through it as well. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. So thank you all for listening. And we hope that this has been an encouragement and an inspiration to help you look for greater levels of freedom and happiness. Happiness. Some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the Kinder Institute, Money Quotient, and The Strategic Coach. These may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast, and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org. You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.